Welcome to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I'm Hardy White. Join me now, won't you, as I speak to you and into you. And you can do with that whatever you'd like. I bring you bread. You can let it get stale and make croutons. You can eat it then. You can use it as a doorstop. Throw it to the birds. Flush it. Beedy boop, beedy boop, beedy boop, dip. 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 Dip, 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 following is an encore presentation from the 1900s. This is Hardy White from Edison Records. Oh, I'm just fooling you. I'm kidding. I wasn't even on in the 1900s. This is not an encore presentation, unless by encore you mean in the heart. Oh, yes, all of this is coming right out of my heart like some sort of fatty gristle, which I think my heart is probably covered with because I'm open-hearted. I have a big heart, like they say, and that makes you do things like eat donuts because you want others to eat donuts. So I'm giving you what I like to think of as donuts of the soul, really, or spiritual donuts, or made-up one, or imaginary one. Uh, actually, they're not donuts at all, is what they are. And so they're not burdensome. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. When you give something to somebody, you should always ask. You say, am I allowed to give the child these candies, these poison candies? And they say, excuse me, say again, because those are two different things. And go, excuse me, I'm sorry. I won't, because I'll tell you what, I don't want to do any harm. I have taken an oath, just like the doctors do, except that I have to adhere to mine, that the state can't make me change my morals. I'm... Uh, I'd love to do that. Oh, my goodness. I feel sometimes I feel like not much of a, a joiner. Say, hey, I wish you were more kind of cooperative. You're not, you're not very cooperative because you do things like try to maintain a sense of justice and morality. Oh, I know. I'd love to uh, give in and be uh, uh, more political or something, but I just don't have it in me. Gosh. I'm, I guess I'm just kind of a rebel, and I know that's selfish, but I love people, and I love all of them, and uh, I know that's wrong, but I do. I just, I don't feel uh, like it's my job to persecute people, which is ironic because I worked as an inquisitor in ancient Spain. There, I was not ancient, but back in the days when they, uh, but listen, I've changed. People's hearts can soften and they can grow and people can learn and I would like people to re be redeemed. I made a list of all my enemies and I thought well it's not possible to wipe them off the earth and they're not being wished away so what I will do is I will go to each and every one of them and I will brainwash them with some sort of magic pudding. I'll give it to them and they'll eat it. I'll create a fake buffet and I'll lure them there and they'll eat from the buffet, and at the end, there'll be this kind of pudding, which will make them kind. And that might work, and that probably works better than plotting their demise. Just more pop up in their place. I've done this before. You know, you can get rid of all of the insert whatever pest you want, and they're just more replace them, unless you change something fundamental 
What is that? Well, you could die, and then it wouldn't be an issue. But I don't want to do that yet. Uh, another thing you can do is uh, change a subject. I like to do that all the time. I, I, I would say that in class a lot in, in high school. I said, I don't mean to change a subject. But I did. I totally meant to. That was a lie. I meant to change the subject because I didn't understand what was going on. So I'd say it would be in math class. Like, I don't mean to change the subject, but that is a fantastic tie you're wearing, Mr. Chalmers. I said, well, thank you. Could you tell us something? Just I know we're learning the math, but just tell us for a minute something about that tie. And I would try to do things like that. Because then I thought, well, now there's less math that I have to learn. But it really didn't work that way. He was there to explain stuff that we had to know anyway. So I can't really get out of a lot of things. I, my goodness. Sometimes I feel like, am I lazy or is it that I just don't want to do things? So I don't really know what it is. Who knows? I'm not lazy when it comes to doing some things. I think I work pretty hard in spurts. I wish I could time that with a job. In a job interview, say, I'm not going to lie to you. There's a four-month period of manic productivity. That's when you want me. So I don't know how we'll swing that. But the rest of the time, I'm going to be hiding in my office and pretending to work. You realize that, right? I'm just going to be up front with you. So a lot of times they'll go, well, no, I don't think you're a very good fit. And uh, then I have to go, you do it freelance is what you do. And you hopefully, if what you do is construction, then that four-month burst is during season. And it isn't in the dead of winter or something. And then you're, what do you do then? You buy a snowplow. There's always a solution. No, that's not true. I have a friend who does math, and they tell me, it's hard, they'll say, or it's easy. And I believe that. And I believe that about most things. Some days that they're, they're easier than others. I find forgetting things is kind of wonderful. Um, so much of what I don't know does not torment me or bother me because I don't know it. Uh, when I learn details, oh, my goodness, well, the Bible tells us it is incumbent upon us to solve a problem uh, morally if we're confronted with evidence of it. Example, I'm walking along the road, and I see somebody's dog that I know. I go, oh, man, there's Jimmy's dog, uh, Terror. And so I don't, do I want to, I'm in a rush. Do I want to, you know, get Terror, or do I want to call Jimmy or whatever? You can't unsee it. You now, if you have any, if you want to have any sense of doing the right thing. Now, if you don't want to, this is no problem. You go, no, I don't, I don't care. But if you, if you care a bit, then seeing compels you. And then you must do something. And I don't feel like it's a burden. Because I uh, kind of want to look out, want to be helpful. So I'm always looking to see if terror got out. Or I'm always looking to see if you've lost your sweater or something. I will start looking for your earring back before you've lost it, even. And then um, if I'm in a constant state of looking for your earring back, and then you lose it, I'm going to be first to find it. And I'm going to feel so good. It does not uh, feel like a bur I When I get outside of myself and help others, I do feel better. And it's, it isn't uh, magic. I just think it's a wonderful distraction. Also, you do feel a sense of satisfaction being helpful. I've been, even in little situations, ever held the door for somebody and, and they say, thank you, the old person. You go, I'm the only one who thought to do that. And you really feel sort of, <laughs> sort of puffed up. I think that's fine. I think that's fine. I mean, anything that compels you to do the right thing. Uh, and what I mean by that is to, to reduce suffering and, uh, you know, increase uh, not suffering. I'm not sure how much you can increase people's joy. You know, did you ever see somebody try to increase your joy when you're just not interested? And street performers sometimes like that, if they're aggressive, they'll come up to you and say, I don't have, I'm sorry. I'd love to interact with you, mime. And I can see now that you're actually Robin Williams. And I know you mean well. And gosh, but here's the thing. I'm not feeling it right now. And that's not the kind of thing that cheers me anyway. And I was just alone with my thoughts, thinking about the dead person I'm grieving. And really, I, you're, 
hideously made up face and all the it's not it's not doing it i know that you're not really there's no wall there or whatever um and bless you oh look you're making fun of my walk <laughs> you're lucky i'm not strapped um uh, but i think hey if i can't laugh at myself like others are doing right now then um who am i mime so i don't resent people to try to help people be joyous but i always like to try to this is why radio is great you have the knob right there so if i'm bringing some if i'm enhancing your life you can listen and you can say oh hardy is making me feel good today and i like that or this irritating person is really getting on my nerves this is actually an example of what i think has really ruined media and radio and art in general. So, and I, I will hold this person hearty white up as probably the worst thing I've ever heard. It's cringeworthy. Beyond, I'm mortified when I listen to it because I think, oh my God, you know, if I ever sound like that, put me out of my misery. And uh, so if you feel that way, well, you probably haven't gotten this far. And um, so you don't know that we're making fun of you. Here on this end. Oh, bless you. I'm not making fun of you. I find it very hard, though, not to. I'm not. Nobody. I'm sure that there are people that have negative thoughts about me. And I'm not really in a position to hear a lot of them. They don't. People like that don't usually write unless you've said something really. I've had it in the past where someone's written me and say, I really hate something you've said. But uh, it doesn't happen very often. And so I'm not. I don't get to hear it, which is wonderful. I think it's wonderful. Um, so, and But I don't assume everybody loves or agrees with me either. Listen, if, if you're going to be honest, sometimes you don't want to, you, you respond to feedback. If I was speaking in front of you, for instance, this is why on the old like MTV uh, reality shows, they would go into that special booth to talk to the camera. Because it's very hard not to adjust what you're saying based on the reactions of people who are hearing it. We do that constantly. I do it compulsively. And so when I'm in public and I'm speaking to you, I am a little overly self-conscious, and I'm just in the habit of adjusting what I say, I guess, to be, you know, to be agreeable, which is fine. But when you're doing experiments like this, and I am opening up, my brain, like it's an open house, I don't want to clean the bedroom. I want you to see the laundry on the floor. Yes, it's embarrassing. If I saw your, your, your appalled face, I would quick pick up all the laundry. But what I want is truth, and I want true reality. None of those reality shows were real, right? You know, they're all adjusted and everything. When I speak to you, you be the judge, but I'm saying... There's no edifice. What? Artifice. Artifice? Edifice? There's no elephants? Listen, there's nothing phony about it. Well, that's not true. You're, you, you say things that aren't true a lot. Let me explain. We are about to enter a strange age in which truth is going to be very difficult to define. There's going to be machines that produce a sort of reality that may not be consistent with actual events. So things may be introduced into your world that really have no basis beyond the imagination, but they become real or temporarily real. And so truth is going to be something that is more difficult. Now, in the old times, truth was a little... People had lower standards for it, first of all, so it a little easier to get your brain around so when you're making moral decisions you think you have all the evidence and in a world where there are is objective truth you're always trying to get to that now let's say you're not sure about anything that you hear whether it's true or not and within that you must make some moral decisions how do you do that if the evidence has a 50 50 chance of not being true now you go in there thinking that so that's amazing, isn't it? So you can have all sorts of nuance if you have access to the truth because you think, well, uh, Hardy uh, 
so Butchie murdered Hardy. But what were the circumstances around it? And then I started telling you things that are evidence, things that really happened, things that we know. Well, we saw um, Hardy was getting on Butchie's nerves by accusing his dog Spiny of having dug up the garden. And Butchie became more and more uh, angry at this. And then when uh, Hardy was gesticulating, Butchie took that as a physical threat and dispatched him uh, quickly. So let's say that happened. Now, you have, to, so you have to make a decision, don't you? So, well, is, uh, is, is Butchie guilty of something? Is it, should we punish him or anything like that? Now, one of those facts are completely made up. What if I just made them up just right now? Now you say, well, they're just made up, so we don't have to think about it. But let's say that's all there is. You're just doing that within Hardy White's made-up world. Now use it. Now try to figure out what to do. You'd say, well, I'm not going to do anything to Butchie because we cannot be sure. There's a 50-50 chance nothing happened. So we'll err on the side of not retaliating on, on Butchie. Well, that would be the logical thing, wouldn't it? Because uh, even though you could be wrong, you only have half the evidence anyway. So being wrong half the time is just fine and absolutely correlates to knowing uh, things, only having a 50-50 chance of knowing whether something is true or not. Isn't that true? I don't know. I know. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's such a difficult world to navigate with one's reason, isn't it? That's why I'm just a big bunch of nerve feelings. That's how I do it. I just try to... Uh, feel things and be the instinctive. And what I'd also like to do is I'd like to veer away from the part of me that wants to hurt or destroy or all that. I want to control that because I know that that can bring such pain and that can bring uh, awfulness and suffering. And so I don't want to do that. And I see when the, the, the anger and violence of others creates suffering. And so I'm trying not to, to, to do that. It's your choice. You can do what you want. I'm just, again, I'm just telling you what's going on here. Oh, in my little heart, I came into existence obscurely and I will leave the same way. And very few people will even know I was here, but this meant everything to me. Oh, while I was alive, it was the most important thing. I could not fathom not being here, immersed in this ocean of feelings and sensations and fears, feeling electrified, sometimes feeling terrified, uncomfortable at the very least. Oh, what it is to be in this world. And so... I want to swim up to you, another strange and alien fish, and say, I'm feeling it. Let's work together, shall we, to avoid the pain of, uh, uh, of the consequence of the confusion of a feeling thing, which is to lash out or to want to control or to feel so vulnerable that they would want to be um, a bully. So I would like to change your heart for you just the way we change a diaper. Now, I've changed many diapers. You say, have you changed diapers? Oh, I've changed so many of your diapers, perhaps. Now that I'm older, it could be your diaper. Can you imagine that? And it is, too. I know there's 20-somethings, and I'm going, I've changed your diaper. And so you can't, uh, there's not much you can say to me that I'm not going to think back to that. And that little table that the thing can pull out and you put the baby on it and you hope the baby doesn't go anywhere. I used to, I made this invention where I'd, I'd, there's a, I'd put Velcro on the baby's back and then I'd just Velcro it to the table. And that's pretty, that's a pretty good way. You can still lift the legs up and get a good wipe and everything like that. And then I would always use the diapers that don't break down in order to punish future generations. I think it's fair so to make the diaper the baby's problem 
as it's when it's older. You go, you're 40-something, you go to the landfill, you go, what is this? You go, that's you. You did that. My mother uh, used cloth diapers, though. It was that generation. I said, oh, that's horrifying. I don't even want to know what the procedure was. What did you do? Did you just uh, flick it out the window? Or I don't even know. I've used a lot of those uh, diaper receptacles. I don't want to say the brand name. Uh, Diaper wizard let's call them and you open it up and you shove the poopy diaper in or the wee wee diaper and which is you know not quite as repulsive but not great and then you put in the plastic thing and then you give it a couple twists and what it's doing is it's sealing them off and it's making a big poopy diaper sausage link thing and then you take that to the landfill now if you're clever you could probably use it to build homes and I don't know, but, you know, if something's not going to break down over time, can't we use it for something? Like those East German cars that can't be recycled? Um, stack them up. Let's make buildings out of them. Let's make them, let's, let's make coral reefs out of, out of used plastic di- diapers. And, uh, or you can use the cloth kind. Uh, and all kinds of fine, if you're very rich, you could use fine fabrics for the baby's diapers. I wonder what the royal family uses, whether they use some kind of cloth that's been, it's, it's, uh, it's very old, and it's from Florence. It's from the 18th century. It's a changeant. And it's, uh, look at it, if, if you can, this way it's blue, this way it's, it's red, depending on how you turn the baby. I would think really nice, fine things like that. Baby has fine leather shoes, even though it's not walking. I did. I had little shoes that you didn't walk in that had, that had like, soft soles. And uh, I know I have pictures of me like that. And I go, why did you do that, Mother? <laughs> I wasn't walking or anything. Why would... But my feet, I will say this. It's like the fluoride treatments I got very young on my teeth. My feet are so soft. Because I have, they have been beshewed for ages and I keep good care of my feet I like to I wear about 10 pairs of socks at once and then they are have been injured and so I I walk with a limp because I got all sorts of foot problems and I haven't really taken care of them because I don't want anybody to cut open my foot because the skin's so nice so I'm just going to live with the pain because of the uh, I don't want all that foot care to gone you know, for nothing. So, um, I'm just, that's me. I know that's a quirk and nobody ever sees my feet. That's the funny thing, but it's for me, you know, it's like silk underwear. You know, it's there. Even if you're single, you know, it's, I feel good. I feel, uh, special all the way through, even the parts people can't see. And that's a good feeling. So you want to do that. So I always say, no matter how you look, even I have friends of other species and everything, and I have a friend who's a mandrel, and he says, "There's no, I'm not put, I'm not using moisturizer." And I said, "Why not?" And he says, "Well, look at me." And I said, "Look, come on, it's it's as much for you as it is for other people. You just want to feel good. You want to feel pampered sometimes, and uh, you ought to have your fangs done." Is what I said to him. And he said, what does that entail? I go, well, they scrape, they'll scrape some of the tartar off. And um, I don't know. I don't know how they did. Listen, I'm not going to tell you. I don't know a lot about some, you're a monkey, right? Not a great ape. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm sorry. We're apes. We do things differently. If you were, uh, oh, I did have this. Gosh, in mid-sentence, I just recalled a dream. There was a gorilla getting one of my dogs. God, that's a weird thing to dream. And I remembered very vividly. I was like, cook a gorilla's got cookie. <laughs> Stupid um, fluffy dog. But uh, yeah, isn't that, isn't that wild? That's what a dream. It's got to be allergy medicine. I know none of these things reflect things that are deeply wrong with my soul. I really think it's antihistamines. Because they give you, wow, vivid dreams. If you've tried taking antidepressants and antihistamines, and you will go places you never imagined in the middle of the night. 
in your head. You know, gosh, that was exhausting. I just, uh, just had the most crazy adventure directed by Terry Gilliam and every night. But um, for me, it's just not, I'm not really taking any medicine recently. So maybe these dreams do reflect something that's going on. What is this fear that a gorilla is going to get my dog? What does that really mean? Probably just loss. You know how it is. The fear every time you love. Oh, what does love come with? It comes with a shadow. You know while you're loving, you have that fear of loss. You feel like it's banished, but we all start our grief early if our love is intense and we think about it, losing somebody we love. But we only think about it a little bit so we don't ever get really reason through it. And then it hits and, boy, uh, and our hearts break. And you think, this is this... Is there any way around that? And I don't know. But I'll tell you, somebody has been here a while. There's nothing you can do by yourself. There's some problems that you cannot solve alone. Because they don't require solutions. They require salve. Or they require a certain treatment. Or a certain condition or something. Because when we're very sad, we need to be there for one another. And it's good to find a group like that, you know, any way you can, really. Because uh, we, we, all, we all need to be lifted up sometimes. Our own legs don't work very well. When we are collapsed in grief, we need others to be able to, to lift us up. And they know... That when you have your strength again or had it before, that you will or, or already have done the same thing for them. And that's a beautiful thing, that trust. That somebody next to you has your back, is going to lift you up. I'll tell you, when you break that, everything turns to living hell. If you want to create a world like that, if you want to extend that, you know, discourage that kind of cooperation on a large scale. You are actively landscaping hell because we need one another. Oh, bless you. I can't tell you how many times one of your words. It's so powerful. You don't even have to come. Let's say I'm hurting. Hardy's hurting or something. I might, I might, you know, it's, it's hard to ask things directly because we are often feel ashamed or scared, you know, because who's going to listen to me on the radio if, if I'm some kind of weak and lost creature? And so to help others, I have to have some sort of a, uh, you got to have some confidence in me, right? It's like, you don't want to see when you're little, you don't want to see your parents go, oh God, what's that outside? You go, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought you were the strong one. So, you know, I want to be strong and be there, but occasionally, you know, you stumble, and I might say, oh, Harley's not doing too good, or something like that. <gasps> I might get just a kind word, but the kind word is delivered in such a way, the power is, how long does it take, 10 seconds or something? And then you just transform somebody. Imagine when you really dedicate your, yourself uh, to others, or just being there. It isn't constant giving. It's, it's just an exchange. It's a Take a penny, give a penny. And it's a wonderful feeling. I have it with you, a lot of the listeners. You know we do. We can't all be, I mean, we don't know each other. We're across the globe and everything. But you know uh, that even wishing somebody well or telling them something or telling them you're thinking about them can be important. You know, if somebody is on, a, on, the, on the brink or on a ledge, how, how much... How, how much motion do you need to save them? Goop. Just a little push the other direction. Back onto the bridge. Doop. It doesn't take much. Right? You don't have to solve all their problems or get them back home. You just have to be a bulwark. Is that the right word? They put that in hymns a lot. 
I'm a bulwark till or something like that. So I forget what it is, but be one. Um, and I, I love it. And we have that cooperation, don't we? Oh, working together. Mm. It's not some kind of radical philosophy or anything. It's just what we do naturally as family and friends and things like that. We don't see it as a real worldview. We don't see it as a powerful, all-encompassing value, that fellowship. But I'm telling you, it is. It's when it breaks down. That's when things... It's the stuff that gets in, you know? There's not much to it. It's just its absence that brings the chaos. That's the thing. So this doesn't think a very powerful thing. A tent isn't a very powerful thing. But the, what it keeps out can be enormous. You know, it can make a huge difference. And that's all we are for one another is little flimsy tents in the storm, but it can be enough. Oh, it can be enough. Anytime your heart's been heavy and somebody's lifted it up, duh, what's that feeling? Like you say, oh, you know, just the temporary uh, relief is enough. We all do live in the moment. And so, you know, the relief that happens in the moment is important to us, is it not? Who is talking to me on my, my friends? Uh, Butchie and Lou are sometimes with me and we wake up in the morning and we have coffee and everything and then we discuss uh, the world because we're all a different part of one another. We all represent a different inclination that we have, don't we? Sometimes we just don't care in a wonderful way like Butchie. You just... Nobody gets under his skin, you know, except for himself. Um, but he's uh, endlessly confident and inwardly uh, invincible. And I think that's wonderful. And Lou is infinitely vulnerable and easily dissipated and wonderfully confused and unsure of himself. And I love being with both of them. And they sort of remind me that you don't have to squeeze it together and make something neutral. You don't have to be all acid or all base. <laughs> I don't mean, you're all thinking, my listeners are going, those are different genres. No, I meant like the chemicals. You know, you can mix them together. You mix them together, you got neutral. But who's neut what's that? What is that? What is that? Pool water. I used to, my grandfather would say, test the chemicals in the pool. And I'd test the chemicals in my grandfather's pool to make sure there was a balance of chlorine and muriatic acid. I'd check the pH, basically. And you want it to be, I think it's slightly basic or anything, but not really, right around zero, you know, because you don't want people's eyes to bleed. And uh, if you put too much acid in your pool or too much chlorine or something, they come out and their eyes are all red and everything. But, you know, if you don't put any of those things in, uh, then you have you get alligators, which spontaneously grow from little things you drop in the, the pool, little pieces of green moss and everything. Alligators just grow from that. You don't see them at first because they're really little, and you think, oh, there's some tiny little lizard in our pool. What is that, an anole? Mm, you wish. No, they're little, little alligator babies, and they're going to get large and scary. And then every 10 alligators is an alligator lord, and it has the power of human speech and can, and can walk on its hind legs. And so you don't see them. Why don't we see those very much, Hardy? Because they're clever as hell. Why would, why would they let themselves be seen? If you were an alligator king like that who spoke and walked around and had a little crown and everything, and you see some doofus trudging through the Everglades, you're, you're going to let yourself be seen? Hardly. So there's lots of ways that they can hide. And there's lots of crypto-zoological uh, creatures like that who manage to hide because they're a million times more clever than we think they are. For instance, uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever you want to, um, Skookum, whatever you want to call them, um, is actually kind of normal height. And the way they get around it is they, um, when you bump into them in the wild, sometimes they'll put on flannel. And they won't turn around or anything. You say, 
sir, have you seen a Bigfoot? And I go, no, no, no Bigfoot around here. Because you turn around, no, I can't turn around because I'm doing something, but no Bigfoot here. And it's just a Bigfoot wearing, they'll be have like jeans and a flannel shirt. Now, if they turned around, you'd see that they got their face like Harry and the Hendersons. But just from the back, you're thinking, oh, there's like, because there's lots of country people now have long hair. So you don't think nothing of it. You think, oh, it's just, um, and, uh, but that's how they do it. I've seen them in diners even. Can I get you more coffee? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, have more coffee. And they'll have their hand up, kind of blocking the side of their face. You don't think of them as being able to talk, but why wouldn't they be able to? I don't know. I think a lot of animals can, but they, why would they say anything? I wouldn't. And even if they could, they probably don't speak English. So what would speak, what could speak English, I think? Squirrels, I think a lot of them do. Um, crows can talk, but why would they, why would they? So, well, I want to be friends with a crow. Why would they want that? Well, maybe I could give them, mm -mm. you are less reliable than a dumpster. So if it's feeding them, you're not going to be, you're, every day you're going to go feed them? I don't think so. So, and what are you going to do? How are you going to protect them if a, uh, like a hawk is molesting their nest? What, are you going to shoot the hawk? You can't do that. That's illegal in your, your laws. You're going to climb up there and get, listen, um, just don't hurt them. That's a good way to help too. I want to be friends with, I'm friends with so many people by staying out of their lives. And uh, they love it. I think they don't know they love it, but gosh, I can be helpful. By not being places, too. That's what I feel like. I've always felt that with jury duty. I go, I know how I can help. Leaving. Because I feel like I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to mess this up anyway. That, and I'm not absolutely, I'm not super, I'm not taken with the way that things are determined. But that's just me. And the laws, you know, do I have to agree with the law? to pass? I think yes, you know. You'll be passing judgment on a law. Do you agree with the law? No. The punishment, too. That's where, I, that's where they get me. And uh, you're allowed to do that. You can go up to the judge and go, I'm, I'm not for jail. And, and they'll, they'll think you're crazy, and they won't vote for you. But they won't make you send somebody to jail if you don't want to. So uh, that's good. So I'm going to be a pain in your ass. That's an, they don't want to let you say that. Because I would just cut. Let's just cut to the chase. If you make me stay here, I'm going to be a jerk. <laughs> You're trying to get out of jury duty. No, no, no. I realize that. Um, you know what I like to pay? And I pay this. There's a couple of things I like to, you know, I think are worth paying for. And one of them is lip service. I pay lip service a lot of times. And um, it keeps me out of trouble. That way you have to, I don't feel every position that I believe in I should have to defend. And so what I do is just I'll lie about what I believe sometimes because it's not worth it. I don't want to get in a debate. Why is my internal life up for debate? Especially if it doesn't affect anybody. I always think that. If I have a dumb belief, I, would, I think you'd want me to keep it to myself. But that's all right. We're so used to wanting to control others by knowing, i got to know what you're thinking. Why? This could drive me crazy. What are you thinking? You're inscrutable. So? <laughs> I don't know what I'm thinking. If I, did, uh, if I did tell you, it'd be a guess. Anyway, is that what you want? You just want to be sure. You don't want to know the truth. You just want to think you know the truth. That's all. You want to be uh, not having that feeling you do in dreams. Where you don't know what's real or what's not real. You don't know what's a threat or not a threat. You don't know who likes you or doesn't like you. You don't know what's safe or not safe. Imagine. Imagine if life was like that. Oh, my goodness. That's your dreams telling you something. Ooh, this is more real than your waking life. Oh, thank you. It does feel like that, though. There is no, there are no... A lot, a lot of the recurring dreams I have are possible. Land erosion. If you've ever lived anywhere where you've lost part of your lawn or something or there's sinkholes, you'll never, ever get over that. And you'll always think that the land is going to drop out under you. And it's even in the Bible. I love that. You can go to Sunday school. You're, I'm, a, I'm a bit Sunday school. I hope nothing. And the land sucked up the people who disagreed with Moses. 
Oh, that's owie. Sinkholes, man. Um, very frightening to me. Just the earth opens up and swallows you. Yummy. I mean, it's, it's great for the earth. It was like, oh, that's a rare treat because I love these little crunchy sweet things. But for us, not so great, right? I guess it's recycling, though. The earth gets us all ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You turn to dust before you uh, die, though, because that's what dust is. I think about that when I go into a house. I go, how much of this dust here is skin? Because a lot of it is. It flakes off off, off you. Because people have that too. Every time you scratch your arm, you're sending those dead skin cells into the air. And they got to settle somewhere. They just don't live in the air. And they settle on that library book or something. And we've talked about this before. Like how much DNA could you get out of a library book? I wonder. I say a bit. And I don't know enough to clone anything. But that'd be fun. What if you did that? You did an experiment. You go in a library, put a book of books, and you clone. If you find some DNA like something that fell out of somebody's nose or something like that, or an eyelash with part of that, like that looks like part of the skin still there. Uh, and then you make a person. And what if it turned out to be all the same person, just some avid reader? Look, it's they're all uh, Martha James, uh, Dr. Martha James. She reads a lot. And, and she sneezes, apparently, every time she reads a book. But that allowed us to bring her back from the 50s. Mm. Imagine. Imagine being immortal like that poor lady's tumor who died in the, uh, in the 50s, and they still use it in biological labs all over the world. Isn't that something? That's a type of immortality, I guess. Yeah, you don't want that. That's, that's, uh, that's not immortality. What is immortality? How do I achieve it, Hardy? Well, I guess the first thing you do uh, would be to subscribe to my newsletter and start ordering my supplements. Otherwise, I don't see how you're going to achieve immortality. So unless you get the secrets, oh, and there's all sorts of levels. So the first thing you sign up for the, the newsletter, and then you'll be eligible to start getting my tapes. Now, you can't start with the tape number 10 first. You've got to work your way through. You know, you can't get all these powers all at once. That's not safe or healthy. And then you start ordering the supplements, and I'll give you different exercises to do and ways to strengthen your tendons for your upcoming immortal experience. Because it's, it's a long game. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, living forever is a challenge. I just started, so I'm not sure, you know, and I haven't really run into anybody who's been around very long. I have a friend in their 90s, which is not immortal, but it's longer than I've been around. But I'm looking forward to being here maybe 1,000, 2,000, 80,000 years. And, um, and I guess other people are too, because they, they say, the sun's going to explode. And go, mm, you're not going to see it, though. So I don't know. Um, I have no fear of the world ending together. That seems very comforting. Because what my fear is like m missing something. Oh, I'll miss all my friends. No, you won't. Everybody will be dead. That movie where the whole world's going to explode and everything, that didn't bother me at all. I'm like, this is best case scenario. None of you have survivors. I mean, I can't imagine laying there and getting ready to die, my heart breaking. I'm never going to see these people again or be in their lives. Well, they won't either. It's great. Everybody. Everybody goes, that doesn't seem bad at all. It's this one-at-a-time thing that's, the, that's tragic, I think. Because you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to miss them and stuff. You probably won't. Uh, that seems to be a product of life, missing. But I don't know. So much I don't know. Oh, I don't anything, really. Because I'm also thinking within this thing. So if, if all of reality is nonsense, so is my thinking. My, my brain isn't some godly thing connected to another universe that's just intruding on this wacky place. It is this wacky place. It's a product of it. It thinks like this whole place operates, which is, I don't even know, bizarre. It should seem normal, though. Isn't that funny? I mean, everything should seem normal and real because it is, but it doesn't. 
<laughs> to me at least it doesn't. Right? I mean, if you're if you're of this world, you're born into this world, and you're all made of the same substance, you know, you're made of the same things, and you're made of the same things of the planet. You know, all have got these same atoms in you. Um, and it just should feel all just right and normal, and it doesn't to many people. It just feels strange, and everything feels alien sometimes. And... Uh, I love that, I guess. And then we come up with some imaginative solutions to why that is. But I find it very interesting and, and very strange. Being a fish in the ocean and thinking, what is this weird place? What am I? Um, I don't know. I don't remember being anything different, really. Not even a vague impression. So, I don't, but I haven't had any kind of readings done. I'm looking forward to people looking at me and telling me with a straight face, insights they have about me that'd be wonderful and uh i won't learn anything i will learn anything i will not about myself probably but i'll learn something i'm always learning much of it is um pointless and i've tried to connect it all you know like crazy people do in movies where they put the three by five cards on the wall and then they have yarn and push tacks I've done that with most things I've learned. I think they all have to relate somehow. This has to be some sort of web. There has to be something to solve. I am putting together a puzzle. Now I realize I don't think that's true. I think I'm laying train tracks that are getting picked up as minute I put them down. That's the way it feels. It feels more like a sort of just a futile process that I'm engaged in. And that it, it's every that it's all constantly uprooted. Maybe it's like a garden. Well, that's not bad. Maybe I plant and I harvest and I start over again. That wouldn't be so. I understand that rhythm. But nothing gets, nothing gets done forever, does it? That's why I have this relationship to the show and what I'm saying and everything. It's a, a sort of um, a lack of preciousness to me. It's a, a disposable nature to the art, I think. And too many times I think we make art that we want to be preserved. And I hope people, there be a copy of this and we're doing a digital remaster. And I hope, uh, I hope there's... Uh, duplicates of this all over. Oh, let it dissolve the minute it's heard. Let it evaporate like a Mission Impossible tape. It may not be for eternal viewing. It may not be. Uh, can you? I, a lot of times I'm watching entertainment and I'm thinking everyone in this is dead. I'm being entertained by the dead. And then I think of the things I'm reading. I get opinions and stuff, and I think I'm being lectured by the dead. I'm being educated by the dead. The laws that I live under are made by the dead. We are living in a tyranny of the dead. We come into this life, and we must live their lives over again, even though they had their chance. They had their chance. I don't want to wear that hat. I don't want to wear that style pants. You had your life. Don't tell me what to do. The dead. I'll write my poetry now. I'll wear my funny clothes now. I do have some questions, though. I do have some questions. For so, um, just curious. Uh, when you all um, uh, were making your parks and everything like that, did you tear down all the trees first, cut down all the trees, and then replant them, or did you build around the trees? Just uh, curious. So, yeah, there's some questions I want to have of the, of the dead, um, especially when you're doing work on an old house. Boy, you'd really like to have access to the people who built it sometimes because I'd like to just say, what were you thinking? Did they make you do this, or, or did you do this on your own? Why is this here? Why is this cut like that? Did you not have, you know, did you not have blueprints back in the day or something? So, this problem sneak up on you? you Uh-oh, there's no closets. So, I want to, yeah, there are some things that I want to know from the dead. But I also, 
I love, I love the living because they're right in it. Oh, I'm not jealous of life. It might be that way as you get older. So I wish I was young again. No, not really. I don't. Because I think that just there, there is no such thing as uh, being young and experienced. That's just not the way it works. You can't go back. And I like where I am. I usually do, even though it's occasionally awful. Isn't it? But there's always something to do, and that's getting through it. And I'm telling you that I would like to do this together. Can we do more together? I'm used to being in a group of people and everything like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm wonderful. For me, uh, it teaches you so much about how to get along with different people, how not to walk into uh, traps of conflict, you know, uh, how to navigate other people's uh, moments of uh, weakness or fear or uh, anger. There are all those things. Those are wonderful things to learn. I can't learn them by myself. All of these things are group efforts. I see nothing wrong with that. I feel my individuality is never threatened. It's never threatens. <coughs> it's like I don't let certain things into my head. So I can maintain my fierce independence uh, in my mind and have my outward life be cooperative. I'm fine with that. Just, uh, you know, I get to show the inside part to whoever I want. It is not universally accessible. So, I'm, and, and, and not, not, you've seen, that's a strange message, Hardy White. Well, listen, I used to hear from Mr. Rogers used to say things to children like, you don't come apart, or you're not going to go down the bathtub drain. And I'd think, that can't possibly be. That wasn't my fear. So how could it be someone else's? Well, he knows that it is someone else's, that little children, some of them do think that. And some, that is a fear that they have. So he addresses it. And I address this problem that you may not have, but some people do. And that's that they feel that other people can compel them to say what they're thinking can demand an opinion from them or uh, demand a, some sort of confession of, uh, you know, and I just think that's, uh, you know, that's not fair. You don't have to do that. Some people that hurts, you don't, you know, what do you think about this? If you don't know, why would you, why would you make me say something I'm unsure of? Or, or, or maybe I don't feel articulate enough and that you're, you're setting me up for a, a trap because I'm going to start telling you the way I think about something and you're going to start arguing with me? No. You know? It can be situational. Why don't we wait to see what happens? Then you can see what I believe. How about that? You know? Because otherwise you might want to attribute something to me because it's who you think I am. So I don't want to be set up for estrangement for another human being i like to be able to cooperate so there what are you saying i'm trying not to say anything i really am oh can you imagine being on the radio for years and really desperately trying not to say anything because you got to be specific say well you got to tell stories you've got to say once there was a castle and there was a princess and the princess wore a hat made of coconuts and the coconuts, on top of the coconuts, had these celery stalk things that she looked like some kind of reindeer or anything. The princess stood outside of the castle. Now, it was a traditional-looking castle. So I have to paint little pictures like that so that you can see things. They have to be concrete. If I just speak in abstract, she'll go to sleep, which is fine, too. But then, to not be able to say something on top of that, oh, gosh. Well, why wouldn't you want to? I don't want to... It's not that I want to say anything. I don't want to point out that anything that I say is more important than anything else. So, for instance, let's say we're walking through an old house or we're walking through the woods. I'm not going to say, look at that tree or look at that rock. I want you to look at everything. Just look at everything. Just take it all in. Don't look for explanations. Don't see how it relates. How's that tree relate to that rock? Don't worry about it. Listen to the things that I say. Let them wash over you. 
if you were reading some book or something, so I'm about to, I'm taking this, uh, I got this in this book club, and we're going to read some, uh, it's a combination of Faulkner and a bunch of other, uh, I think it's Finnegan's Wakes, and then we're putting them all together and scrambling them, and we're having AI construct a book that has no, absolutely no narrative structure or anything. I don't even know what some of the words are. They're just sounds. How do I read this, Hardy? And I say, just read it. Just let it wash over you. Just feel things. You know, don't try to connect them. Don't try to reason. Take it all in. Connect it when it's done. Wait. Wait till you've seen everything. You know? Consider it evidence. Let all the evidence wash over you like that. And then, and you say, what did I just feel? Because the figuring out may make you feel like you got a headache. So don't do that. Don't try to figure out what I say. Oh, my goodness. It's uh, when you try to figure out an instrumental piece. What's that instrumental piece about? Right? And I hate it when people tell you, oh, that, that, uh, that Brahms piece, he wrote that when Clara Schumann died. He secretly loved her and everything. You know, so, dum, 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 dum. so you know, I found that out. So then, now, that piano quartet or whatever it is by Brahms, all I can hear is him going, Clara, you're dead. But I don't want that in my, I want to just have it personalized, really. I don't want it to be about Clara Schumann or anything. I want it to be about um, planting corn or something. So that interferes a little uh, bit uh, with the feeling, my feeling-based interpretation of art. But... I think that's great. All that I could say for this life is that it's an experience. So I'm just out there experiencing things, and you may figure them out, and that's all right. Bless you. Go ahead and do it. You all figure it out. I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm not smart enough to do a lot of things. So what should I do? Crawl in a corner? Can I not contribute because I do not have the intellect of a college professor? Can I not contribute because I do not have the talent of a great poet? Can I not contribute because I do not have the abilities of a great musician? Can I not contribute because I am not funny? I am not clever. I am not compelling. I am not particularly good storyteller. I'm not particularly articulate to it when I'm speaking the words, I don't have a great vocabulary. But does that mean that I cannot produce something that will provide a feeling? Yes, of course I can. Of course I can. Have you not been moved by an elephant painting as somebody played the trombone? I don't think that's right. I think that he's playing a piano and the elephant's dancing or something. But still, it's beautiful. And an elephant maybe even you know, better equipped to entertain than I. But I believe that the experience can be of anything. And it's in the, it's the beholder that brings to it some sensitivity uh, on which the thing can be done with the deal. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm sorry. It all, sometimes it just breaks down. I'm staring at, you know why? I'm thinking I'm staring at my ukulele. And I guess I feel like I'm staring at my ukulele trying to get a reaction out of it. Do you ever say something, you know, like if there was, uh, sometimes I've had people watch me uh, record a show or something. I'll say something, I'll look right at them and I'll try to say something to get a reaction out of them. And I'll look right at them, but I'm pretty sure my ukulele, and it's a baritone uke, is not going to say anything. Look at that. Bless your heart over there, ukulele. Wanting to play some, can we play some is... Yes, maybe we can. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you, my friends. I am uh, blessed that we have this, what is it? What is it? Thing, our thing. Cosa Nostra. That's not right. But it is our thing that we have. And uh, I love it. And we're there for one another in whatever capacity we can be there. Even if it's a, a kind word that can make all the difference. You're listening to Miracle Nutrition. What? You're listening to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White on WMF, uh, FMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 91.9 in Rockland County in New York City, New York, and online worldwide at WFMU.org. Oh, my goodness. I'm so lucky. And uh, please uh, join me here again next week.
Thank you.